536. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. couple quick program notes. 9-10 this morning, approximately. We will have our next winner in our Follow the Brewers contest. The way it works is at 9-10 or thereabouts. If you are the correct caller, you win a four-pack of tickets uh, this week. It's a four-pack of tickets to see the uh, Brewers play the Cardinals at Miller Park. But here's the really cool thing. Um, you also, if you are a daily winner, you go into our weekly drawing. We will qualify you know, one winner a day and then on Friday, and we will have a daily winner on Friday as well. Later on Friday morning, we are going to randomly select one of the daily winners from that week, and we're going to give them an opportunity to follow the Brewers. This week, um, our grand prize winner for the week gets uh, a trip to Pittsburgh. Gets a trip to Pittsburgh to see the Brewers play the Pirates. So stick around. That will be coming up at about 9.10. And before you roll your eyes and say Pittsburgh, I, I, on opening day, I was sitting there and I was talking to Bob Eucher and Jeff Levering, and they were both talking about what a great place you know pittsburgh is to watch a game and things like that and um years ago when i was a when i was when i was five and six years old i lived in pittsburgh for like two years absolutely it is amazing and i don't have great recollections of it but it's amazing how that city has changed over the years so um our grand prize winner gets a chance for this week to follow the brewers to pittsburgh so be listening at approximately nine ten for your chance to win all right Second announcement, Insight 2017, hosted by yours truly. It is now less than two weeks away at the Country Springs Hotel, 6.30 um, at night on Wednesday, April 19th. Now, we've already announced the number of our guests, and um, quite candidly, I think we put together a really good lineup. We're going to have Governor Scott Walker up close and personal. We're going to have not one, not two, but three members of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, Justice Annette Ziegler, who was just reelected on Tuesday night, Justice Rebecca Bradley, who was reelected last year to a 10-year term, and the newest member of the state Supreme Court, uh, Justice Daniel Kelly, who, by the way, will be up for election next year. Um, we're going to be joined by Milwaukee restaurant empresario Joe Bartolotta. We're going to be joined by... Summerfest CEO Don Smiley and Summerfest Vice President of Entertainment Bob Babish. And we're going to be talking about Summerfest. And again, what we're going to be doing is going behind the headlines. It's not just going to be, okay, who's going to be playing at the Miller stage or whatever. I, I want to talk about the, the background of all these different types of people and how they got to where they are and maybe get them to tell some war stories. We're also, at uh, two weeks from yesterday, is a, we're going to be about a week away from the NFL draft, and we're going to be joined by voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee, and The Rock, Packers analyst Larry McCarran. And we have another guest to announce who's going to join us at Insight, the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel, who has become one of the leading national figures in the ongoing battle against opioid abuse. Um, you, all, I, you don't... You know, if you, you, it's almost impossible to turn on radio news or turn on television news or, you know, pick up a newspaper w without seeing another story about some person, particularly a young person, oftentimes in the suburbs who's died of, a, of an opioid heroin overdose. Um, Brad Schimmel has really become one of the nation's leaders in that. As a matter of fact, the week of insight, he's going to be out of town presenting at a big conference of a national law enforcement conference about opioid abuse. He, he's coming back uh, actually the afternoon of insight and he is going to join us as well. The attorney general of the state of Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel. And we're going to be talking about how we got, how we got here with this sort of problem, because I will tell you when I was in the U S attorney's office back in another life, I mean the, the drugs of choice, first of all, was powder cocaine. Then it was crack cocaine, which is incredibly addictive. Then it was methamphetamine. 
heroin is not something you saw. And now heroin has come back with just, it's just made an incredible resurgence. It is killing people, particularly young people, all throughout our area. And we'll be joined by Brad Schimmel to talk about what can be done to stop this devastating problem. So Attorney General Brad Schimmel also joins us as part of our guest list at Insight 2017. Tickets are available at WTMJ.com. Just go to the website. You'll see this big thing that says Jeff Wagner Insight. Click on it. We hope to see you there. It's going to be an intimate setting, a chance for you to see some of the people who make the headlines um, up close, personal, and perhaps in a different context than you are used to seeing them. All right, coming up. Three big things. We start out with the worst chemical attack in years in Syria. The U.S. knows who is responsible. What will they do and what should they do? We'll discuss. It's 841 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ on the doorstep of an NBA playoff berth. The Bucks battle the Pacers tonight in Indianapolis. Ted Davis begins our Bucks shots pregame coverage at five forty here on WTMJ. Big thing number one. It is, I think, the first major foreign policy test of the Trump administration, and the question is now going to become: How do they deal with this? Syria has been a mess for a, a long time. You know, Syria has been, you know. Syria is a hotbed of action by the Islamic State. The U.S.'s priorities has been, have been in trying to deal with the Islamic State as it operates in Syria. The U.S. needs the permission of Syria to be there to conduct certain operations against the Islamic State. The problem is Syria is also torn up with this ongoing civil war. The president of Syria... Bashar al-Assad is a strong man in the sense of brutal slash dictator who is willing to do anything to keep his hold on power. He is supported by Russia and Iran. Now, he's engaged in a civil war, and the deal has been all along that Assad first of all, years ago, was supposed to destroy his supply of chemical weapons. I mean, I think as a civilized world, we recognized a long time ago that there's war and there's war. And you do not use chemical weapons on towns killing innocent men, women, and and children. And so a number of years ago, Assad was supposed to destroy his stockpile of chemical weapons. So he's propped up by Russia and by Iran. The U.S. needs cooperation from Syria because it needs to operate, and it wants to go after the Islamic State that is operating in Syria. Earlier this week, there are reports that the administration of Assad used chemical weapons in an airstrike against a village in northern Syria that is believed to be a a quote-unquote rebel stronghold. And the, the, the death totals kind of vary but it appears somewhere between 70 and 100 innocent men, women, and children died in about as unimaginable a way as possible as a result of this this use of of chemical weapons. And it appears pretty much uncontrovertible that it, it came from the Assad regime. 
Now, some people, you know, would argue that the originally the Saud regime said, "Oh, these were the rebels that that did it. Uh, these were the rebels." But nobody believes that, and that does not appear to be the case at all. Russia has been trying to give uh, the Syrian president cover on this, but it's pretty much broken down. So now you have Donald Trump, who's typically what Trump has been wanting to do, and I understand this. Trump has been wanting to, hey, I, I want to concentrate. I, wa- I don't want to deal with Assad. I want to concentrate on fighting the terrorists. I want to con- concentrate on fighting the Islamic State as they operate in Syria, which I, I-, I understand that motivation. But now that you have pretty much, like I say, uncontrovertible evidence that the strong man in Syria, Assad, the dictator, the regime, is using, once again, chemical weapons to kill innocent men, women, and children. You've now got you know Donald Trump saying, okay, th- these latest reports are getting me to change my position as to what we do with Syria. And now the question is, what do you end up doing? A couple years ago, when this happened before, Barack Obama said, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. Remember? I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And Syria won't cross it. Well, Syria crossed that line in the sand that Obama drew several years ago, and nothing happened. So now I think a lot of people believe that Syria was emboldened because Obama said, hey, don't do this. Syria did it. No consequences. Now Trump is faced with a situation of what do you do? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I was at dinner last night with a dear friend of mine who is, I, I think, um, I think it would be fair to say she was not a supporter of a lot of military action in the Middle East. And she was telling me last night about how, you know, th- this is just too much. The U.S., we need to do something, even if it means getting militarily involved. Maybe we need to, uh, like, bomb the, the presidential palace. 414-799-1620. Can Donald Trump allow this latest action to go unpunished? 414-799-1620. My answer is No. Let's talk, first of all, to Charlotte in northern Illinois. Charlotte, good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Um, America's the wealthiest nation in the world. Uh, what about economic warfare against those who are supporting the S- Syrian dictator, against Russia, which is only a gas station economically, right. or Iran, which we shipped, I don't know, how many hun- hundreds of millions of dollars of Swiss francs to? Right. Why can't we work with the Germans and the British uh our allies and uh, put stiff sanctions on Russia and Iran, and maybe the dictator of Syria will go to the peace table. I don't know. No, see, I, I Charlotte, actually, I, I agree with you as well. I, I don't. I, I would not support American military intervention, and I think you again, you have to be careful because we need to be able to operate in Syria to try to attack terrorist bases and things like that. I, I but I agree with you. I think the way to do this is to go after. Russia and Iran in a in an economic way. I think you're on you're exactly 100% right in order to try to pressure them because the reason Assad does this is he knows he's got Russian backing, he's got Iranian backing and he thinks he can get away with this. Right. Uh, I think we can control banks and funding and so forth uh and get our European allies to go along with it. You would agree we need to do something though. Of course. Right. Yes. Okay, but- good. No, thank you. No, I agree. Now I I'm again, I I don't think this I I'm not urging boots on the ground. I'm not urging sending a missile strike on the presidential palace. But I, I do think that you, you cannot simply ignore this on an ongoing basis because, my God, you know, I, 
the, the United States, in my opinion, is the last remaining superpower in, in the world. And I understand there's this one big argument that, okay, it's a civil war, let's stay out of it. But at the same time, you have, again, this dictator who not supposed to have chemical weapons. He apparently still does have chemical weapons, and he's willing to use them as a civilized country. Can you allow that to go on, especially after we've said, don't do this? Let's talk to Sue in Hartford. Sue, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Um, hi. hi. I just have a comment that um, I think these countries need to start taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm and not let these people take power. I don't know how they get in power. But the United States is constantly, constantly spending taxpayer dollars um, to take care of other countries. And this country is is falling apart. Because, right. It's a mess. Know, it's been a mess for forever. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, our taxes, you know, Donald Trump is trying to decrease our taxes which everybody's happy about, but how is that going to happen if every time something happens in another country, uh, we're saving them? We well, need to save our own. Well, I don't know that we, we could save them. So your response would be, okay, d- do nothing. You've got this Syrian the Syrian dictator who is systematically using prohibited chemical weapons to you know, kill his own people. Your response would be, not the U.S.'s, not the US's business, just let this go on. Uh, absolutely. Right, I th- mean, it, it's awful that these things happen. But like I said, I don't know how these people get in power. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they have a voting system. Right. But- or, or, right. right. It, it, it's, I mean, he, he's a Syrian strongman. I guess, see, here, see, in a perfect world, this would be where the United Nations would, would step up. And this is where you would have a United Nations coalition that, you know, you wouldn't need to depend on the United States. The problem is the United Nations is, in my opinion, worse than useless in these matters. I'm not urging boots on the ground. I'm not urging military strikes. But I, I do think, and I, I mean, I agree with Charlotte, our first caller. I, I do think that this, this is something that you you just can't let go, especially since the United States has been saying for years and years, we are drawing these lines. We're, we are, do not do this. You know, you cannot do this. And then you've got, again, Assad, who just thumbs his nose at the United States. If you're going to make these threats and you're going to say, okay, we, you, we don't, you cannot use chemical weapons. These are outlawed by all these various treaties. And then, as is apparent, you use chemical weapons and you kill dozens, maybe up to a hundred men, women, and children. I just don't think, as a civilized country, we can ignore that. To me, again, the answer is the reason Assad stays in power is because he's propped up by Russia and Iran. All right, there, there are, and I agree. There's, there's economic pressures. There's things you can do to try to, again, convince Russia and Iran that maybe this is not the horse that they need to be backing. Bob in Sheboygan. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, and uh, I feel that uh, they should either send a Navy SEALs in to destroy this plant if they find out where it is, and or bomb it, because what they have done is uh, uh, very uh, harsh. It's um, cold. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's genocide. No, thanks for the call. No, it's, it's, it's genocide. I mean, let, let's, let's call it like it, like it is. And I mean, I, you know, chemical weapons have been outlawed by various treaties for, for how many decades now? Um, again, I think, I, I, look, I'm not one of these people that's into nation building. And I, I appreciate that we have a lot of needs on our, in our country and we have to concentrate on, on them. I, I understand that. But at the same time, I, I do think we have, 
some degree of moral authority in in the world based on our position. In addition to that, I mean, Syria is in fact a a mess, and if if we can do something to help stabilize the government and the condition and the situation in Syria, I think that makes it easier for us to continue to wage the war against terrorism, against the Islamic State, which operates out of Syria. Um, so t- to the extent that we can help stabilize things, it is in our interest, maybe not as directly as sometimes. I just don't think you can ignore this situation. Do you want to bomb? No. Do you want to send Marines in? No. Should we be pressuring Russia and Iran economically to to stop backing a regime that engages in genocide, I think that's reasonable. It's 8.56. Coming up next, what part of no doesn't the county executive understand? Stick around. Mentioned this yesterday. The news just continues to, well, get get worse for Fox News. Fox News is Bill O'Reilly. The New York Times ran an article over last weekend pointing out that there were five different women over the, the course of the last decade or so who have raised various complaints of sexual harassment or sexual discrimination against Bill O'Reilly and Fox News. The cases, according to the New York Times, had been settled for a total payout of around $13 million, the largest payout, $9 million, being made to one former producer. It's kind of unclear whether the money came from Fox News or Bill O'Reilly or a combination of, of both of them. After that news broke, a number of advertisers, including a number of, of big advertisers, have have pulled their advertising off of the O'Reilly factor. And it hasn't necessarily been that they've pulled it from Fox News, but they've said, hey, we don't want to be advertising on the O'Reilly show right now. We're going to temporarily suspend this, move it to you know other shows on the network. The O'Reilly Factor is, of course, the most popular show on Fox News. It has a following. Bill O'Reilly has a following of about 4 million people a night, which is is enormous. I mean, he, he's the whale when it comes to you know, cable information in the evenings. Incredibly, incredibly successful. His shows generated in the neighborhood of $450 million in advertising revenue for Fox between 2014 and 2016. So the, the overall question is, what is going to happen here? Um, my personal take on this is that at the end of the day, this is going to end up being a tempest in a teapot. Because what I think is going to ultimately happen here is some of these advertisers are responding to these things in a knee-jerk sort of fashion. Oh, he's too controversial. We don't want to be associated with this. But I don't believe that there are any of the 4 million-plus people who watch Bill Riley on a daily on a daily basis? I just don't see them saying all of a sudden, "Hey, I like Bill O'Reilly. I love the show. I'm now going to you know pull pull. I'm not going to stop watching it. And if people don't stop watching it, that means sooner or later, either the advertisers who are trying to reach people who are watching the show, you know, they're they're going to come back. Or if some of these other advertisers don't come back because they feel that Bill O'Reilly is too much of a hot potato, if he's drawing 4 million people a night, you're going to have a whole bunch of new advertisers that are going to wade in. So uh, the latest update is now, uh, according to today, there are 35 advertisers who in one fashion or another have distanced themselves from the O'Reilly factor. Like I say, most of them 
not canceling their advertising, but asking Fox News to move their commercials into other programs on the channel. As long as Bill O'Reilly continues to have the ratings he does, though, uh, trust me, he, he will, in fact, survive. Okay, we have our Follow the Brewers winner. It's Laura from Wapan. Laura from Wapan is our winner for today. She wins a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Cardinals at Miller Park. And she is qualified for our weekly grand prize drawing on Friday. We will select somebody to follow the Brewers. See the Brewers play the Pittsburgh Pirates on May 6th in Pittsburgh. Keep listening for your chance to win. It comes up at approximately this time every weekday. Big thing number two, where does Milwaukee County go from here? We discuss next. 913, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 916, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Get to know the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017, hosted by me. It's at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. It is Wednesday night, April 19th. That is less than two weeks from now. I will sit down with the longtime radio team of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarran, and I will tell you, just an opportunity to listen to the stories that Wayne and Larry have that in and of itself is worth the nominal price of admission. Um, you can hear them less than a week before the 2017 NFL draft. Get the inside scoop on the Packers' needs, reinforcements for Aaron Rodgers, and how the team plans to get back to the NFC Championship game. I'm also going to try to get them to tell some war stories. Um, that should be fun as well. There are only 13 days left until Insight 2017, so get your tickets online and check out the full guest list at WTMJ.com. The latest guest that we just announced today, the Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel, is going to join us. Brad is one of the leading leading fighters in the country against the scourge of opioid abuse. You know, we're hearing all these stories about young people, young people not just in inner cities, but young people in the suburbs who are dying because of heroin abuse um, that traces back to abuse of prescription pills. And uh, Brad uh, Schimmel is going to be talking to us about that and, you know, what you can do and what the signs are and where we go from here, because it is absolutely unacceptable. Insight 2017. Hope to see you Wednesday night, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. All right. Two days ago. Yeah, two days ago, we had an election. Voters in Milwaukee County were asked whether they supported a $60 wheel tax, which is something that's been advocated by Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley. To review the bidding quickly, when you register your car in Wisconsin, you pay a $75 fee, we all do, to the state of Wisconsin. If you live in the city of Milwaukee, you pay a $20 fee on top of that. If you live in Milwaukee County, you pay a new $30 wheel tax. So if, like me, you live in Milwaukee County, you are paying $75 plus um, $30. So, you know, you're talking about 105 bucks. If you live in the city of Milwaukee, add another 20 to that. So $125. That is, of course, per car per year. So many households, there's two cars. Some households, you might have three if you've got, you know, teenage kids. Chris Abley, not happy with just the new $30 wheel tax. He wanted it to be 60 There was an advisory referendum asking whether the wheel tax should be jacked up from 30 to $60. It was overwhelmingly defeated. 72% of the voters in Milwaukee County said, you know, heck no, we don't want to pay this additional wheel tax. Uh, Chris Abley... Chris Abley is not necessarily taking no for an answer. Last month, um, he said that even if there was a resounding no, 
it wouldn't deter him from recommending a $60 wheel tax for 2018. And when I was watching news reports yesterday, while he was somewhat noncommittal, I heard him criticizing the referendum. He said, well, we didn't ask the right question. You know, you asked whether there were a wheel tax increase. What we should have said is, you know, would you support a wheel tax increase instead of having to raise the bus fares? And the implication being, if we don't generate more money through a wheel tax, we're going to have to jack up the bus fees. And there's 150,000 riders of transit every single day. We can't ask them to pay more. Now, I actually think this is a false premise because if you're trying to, for example, save money, how about how about canning the idea of tearing up roads to put in and spending money for a quote unquote, you know, high occupancy, high speed bus lane, for example, from downtown to the medical college? I mean, this idea that, well, we, we can spend money on all these other things, but the only the only way we can save the buses system is to, again, expect people who drive cars to pay more and more and more. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big thing number two, what part of no do, do, do people not understand? I personally believe that if either the county board or the county executive come back in the face of this referendum, the overwhelming defeat of the wheel tax, and try to say, well, okay, you, you voters in Milwaukee County, you're just too stupid. You don't understand the things. I don't like the way the question was worded. We are going to double the newly imposed wheel tax. I think if that happens, you might see a result similar to what happened during the pension scandal, and that is recall movements. Um, certainly, certainly, I think that's the type of thing that might cause average citizens to step up and say, boy, I mean, the clown car act that is Milwaukee government continues to go off the rails. 414-799-1620. Should the increased wheel tax be dead once and for all. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Got to tell you something. Again, as somebody who lives in Milwaukee County, I think the $30 wheel tax was a bad idea. Doubling it to $60, I think, is a complete and total non-starter. And I think county government needs to take note of that. We discuss next. It's 921 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. When you're buying a home, how can you best make your, how can you best make your offer stand out from all the rest? Get some help from, helpful tips from an expert during Wisconsin's afternoon news that is today after Brewers baseball right here on WTMJ. Yeah, the Brewers played a great game yesterday. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Do we have a situation? Is should the increased wheel tax be dead on arrival? Deb writes, I don't understand why the county car owners should continue to subsidize bus riders. Roads suck in the county. Shouldn't my fees support the services that I use? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Gina on the south side. Gina, good morning. Hi. Hi, Jeff. Gina. If you think that the stickers, stolen stickers were bad before, wait till this price on the, on the place right. go up. Right. It's going to be bad, bad. 
dad. Right, yet not only stolen stickers, but just simply people deciding not to register their cars and, and taking that chance. I mean, yeah, there, there are a lot of people going to say, hey, wait a second. You know, it, we, we have a huge problem with people not registering vehicles now at $75 or $95 if you live in the city of Milwaukee. Now that you start cost making 120 or $150 or whatever, you're right. This is one of the things that's going to happen. People are just going to skip registra- registering their cars in many cases. It, it, this might even be a net loser for the county at the end of the day. Exactly, exactly. I agree with you. No, thanks for the call. No, I mean I, that's that that that's the, the whole idea of a wheel tax is just so offensive on so many different levels. First of all, as I've argued before, it is incredibly regressive. What does regressive mean? Regressive means that it impacts poor people more than it impacts wealthier people. Look, here, here's just the reality. Do, do I like the idea of paying an extra $30 to register my car or an extra $60? No. But the truth is I'm at a point in my life where I could do that. Right? That's It's not going to necessarily be life-changing. Maybe that affects you. But there's a lot of people... I mean, you say, okay, again, we're going to, now in Milwaukee County, it's already an extra $30. Add an extra $20 in if you happen to, you know, uh, live in the city of Milwaukee. So now add another 30 on to that. So you're talking about what, if they would pass that, you know, 80 bucks plus the 75 you already pay. All right, for some people, that's a bunch of money to have to come up with. Plus, if you've got two cars or maybe you've got, you know, three There are so many different ways. If you're concerned about the bus system, there are so many different ways that you could save money without expecting car owners to pick up the tab for that. But, you know, you do have to make some choices. I, for one, would start with completely canning this absolutely ridiculous idea to tear up Wisconsin Avenue and Blue Mound Road in order to, you know, run a bus line it's not going to have any appreciable number of riders anyways between downtown and the medical college just to knock off seven or eight minutes off of the trip. That is absolutely ludicrous. Let's talk to Andy in Sherman Park. Andy, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you, sir. Um, one issue that I was uh, thinking about is, you know, they got the goal path for the county transit bus riders. Right. For uh, right. elderly and disabled and all that. I can understand that, but they're losing like $7 million a year on this. And they do have a half-fare program. I mean, if you're disabled and elderly, you can get on the bus for a dollar ten and go anywhere you want. Yeah, now they've scaled it back a little, but you're right, Andy. That that, that whole go-pass idea, and that was, that was pushed by former county board chairwoman uh, Marina Dmitrievic. In, in Abley's defense, he never went, he went along with that. It, it was something that came up. It was suggested... If you talk to, like, the aging groups, the elderly groups in Milwaukee County, they never pushed for that. That wasn't something they wanted, this idea that when at least it originally went into effect, that if you're over 65, you get to ride the bus for free. Uh, you know, So, in, in other words, if you've got somebody that's got $4 million in the bank, um, you know, in 401K plans, um, at least as this was originally constituted, you could ride the bus for free in Milwaukee County. I mean, how crazy right. is that? Right, and then you hear it's, uh, well, it's such a success. Well, good and fine. I can open up a burger stand and give away the burgers for free. And they're lining up around the block. It's yeah. a success. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. if, and if the county transit doesn't get the dollar, 
guess what? Someone else is going to get that dollar. Well, well right. That, that was it. Now, they have scaled back. Thanks to that. They have scaled back it, it a little. But you're, you're exactly right. That is the kind of crazy stuff that goes on on a regular basis in Milwaukee County. When that go past thing was first lined up, oh, we want to be nice to senior citizens. Okay, well, that, that's great. I get being nice to senior citizens. But, you know, if you would look at, for example, problems that Milwaukee County senior citizens have, I, I think, you know, in the top 100, um, gee, we need to ride the bus for free across the board. That would probably be about number 512. But because it was something that some of the county supervisors thought was politically popular, they ended up pushing it through. And as you say, it cost a ton of revenue for the bus company. Now, they have scaled it back a little bit, but there still is this, this go pass that exists there. You know, this was, again, it was a solution searching for a, a problem because there were already deep discounts. But in your right, too. Once they went in with the free bus rides, well, then more people started riding the bus, and they declared it a success. But I love your analogy. I mean, if I open up a hamburger stand and say, I'm giving away free hamburgers, yeah, lots of people are going to line up, and they're going to take the free hamburgers, but does that make the business a success? In any event, this I don't know what Abley is going to do with continuing to push for another $30 wheel tax on top of the $30 wheel tax that they just imposed. But I think I sort of agree with one of uh, our people on our text line. If they push this $30 wheel tax increase after we voted no, I agree with a recall of all of them, including Chris Abley. Uh, Yeah, what part of no don't we understand? Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You will notice my producer, Hondo, we're working on, we're, we're kind of going back to music of my life, which you want to be listening. 1130 today, we've got Pop Culture Corner coming up, but bumper music, kind of more, uh, music of my life, and can't go wrong with Glenn Fry and Smuggler's Blues. No question about that. Get to know the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017, hosted by me at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. It is Wednesday night, April 19th. See Governor Scott Walker, like you've never seen him before, up close and personal. Hear what it's like to live in the executive mansion, what it's like to run for president, how the budget's coming together in Madison, and the real story behind the fight over Act 10, among other things. There are only 13 days left until Insight 2017. Get your tickets right now. You go online. You can also check out the full guest list at WTMJ.com. Latest guest that we announced today is uh, Brad Schimmel, the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin. He's going to be talking about, uh, again, the opioid abuse problem. You know, heroin was just something that you did not see in this or many communities back when I was chasing drug dealers, and it has made a huge resurgence, and uh, Brad Schimmel has become one of the nation's leaders in trying to fight that, and we'll be talking about those things with him. All right, health insurance has always, big thing number three, it now appears that the the yesterday there was this talk about Donald Trump and Paul Ryan trying to get together to mollify the, the Freedom Caucus, the 25 or 30 different conservatives who killed the initial attempt to reform health care, where they were back trying to cut a deal, that now appears to be dead on arrival. As I mentioned yesterday, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. Let me back into this. Health care, health insurance has always been different than other types of insurance like automobile insurance. For example, automobile insurance, you the rates you pay 
are based on a number of factors, including your driving record. If you are a bad driver, somebody who has a lot of accidents, you pay more than somebody who is a good driver, somebody who's never had any claims or that. That's one of the ways they, they balance it out. There's this risk pool. Everybody pays something, but bad drivers pay more than good drivers. Health insurance has never worked that way as a general rule. You go to work for a company. Let's say you get insurance through your workplace. You go to work for the company. You pay, with one exception or two that I'll mention in a minute, you, you, know, you pay, let's say you are perfectly healthy. You're a perfectly healthy you know, 30-year-old male. You pay the same rate as a 55-year-old guy with diabetes or with a wife who has, you know, cancer or, you know, whatever. You pay the same rate. Now, there are some adjustments for risk factors. You know, if you're a smoker, you, you have to pay a little bit more. If you, um, if you participate in wellness activities, maybe you get a discount. But as a general rule, you're paying the same. Health care through your employer is not priced differently because of your different health situations. Unlike, again, automobile insurance, right? Okay, so here's, here's the deal. One of the problems in the pre-Obamacare health system was the whole idea of people with pre-existing conditions. What about, and an example I always give, what about, again, the person that's had health insurance most of their life? All right, you, you, they paid year after year after year, probably never you know, satisfied their deductible, been paying year after year after year. They're 48 years old. They lose their job through no fault of their own, but they have diabetes or they have, Lord forbid, they or somebody close to them is diagnosed with cancer or something like that. Well, they've lost their health insurance through their employer, so now they have to go and they have to find insurance on the private market. But with health insurance um, on the private market, you, you become uninsurable because somebody will say, hey, you know, you've got cancer, you've got diabetes, you know, whatever. You're going to, we either don't want you or we're going to put you in these special uh, plans, these high-risk plans, where we're going to charge you more than you can, more than you can really afford to pay. So you, you get into this conundrum. How do you deal with people with pre-existing conditions? Well, under Obamacare, they have this thing called, uh, again, community rating which means you can't charge somebody somebody who's 55 years old for example has to be charged the same rate so if you're a perfectly healthy 55 year old you know you have to be charged the same rate as somebody who has again diabetes or something like that or again perhaps an even more catastrophic thing one of the efforts one of the latest reform proposals that was made and this is something that the so-called freedom caucus was pushing was the idea that we want to eliminate the community rating thing. We would still require insurers to provide you coverage if you had a pre-existing condition, but we would eliminate this community community rating requirement. So in other words, the insurers, while they would have to offer an insurance policy to the 55-year-old man whose wife has terminal cancer, stage four cancer, they would have to offer that person a policy, but they could charge them whatever they wanted. So if, if for example, the insurer said, okay, we've got to offer you a policy, but you know what it's going to be? It's going to be fifteen or $20,000 a month if you want this policy. They could effectively, under this proposed bill, 
which would have done away with this community community rating aspect. They could have done away again with this idea that you know everybody gets charged the same. So effectively, yeah, you have to offer pre-existing coverage, but we're going to make it so expensive that nobody can take advantage of it. That I think if if Republicans had signed off on that, I think it would have been number one just political suicide. And number two, I think it would have been bad policy because even during the Obamacare debate, conservative, liberal, moderate, Republican, Democrat, I think all of us agreed that something needed to be done to make sure that people with pre-existing conditions still had access to coverage as if they would have if they were covered through their employers. And again, that I understand this is a challenge. Because one of the things that's causing Obamacare to implode is the notion that, you know, people wait to get the insurance until they're sick. The penalties for not having insurance are so low that, again, people make the decision, well, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go without insurance. But I know that if I get sick, I can, you know, I might have a little bit of a waiting period, but I can guarantee that I have coverage. And, of course, the insurance market depends on healthy people being willing to pay in as well. So I appreciate that that's an issue. But doing away with community rating, which would effectively do away with, in any meaningful fashion, with requiring people, insurers, to provide coverage for pre-existing illnesses, that, in my opinion, at least isn't the way to go. So if that means allowing Obamacare to go on for a while and maybe just completely implode so the Democrats have to cross the aisle to support this, okay, I guess I'm in favor of it, but I guess I want to see this get done right I don't think it was done right seven years ago when Obamacare passed. And if Republicans are going to reform this, I want the reform to be right as well. So to the extent that health care reform now appears to be at least temporarily off the table, I would say no bill is better than a really, really bad bill. And I think some of these reforms they were talking about, at least the way I understand them, would have been really, really bad, number one. And number two, I think it might have been political suicide. 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 949, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes, a classy, quote-unquote, North Carolina restaurant bans children. Some people are upset. Some people say, you go, guys. We're going to talk about that and the big controversy, of course, today or tomorrow, uh, Neil Gorsuch will be approved as the latest justice on the United States Supreme Court. To get there, though, it's going to be messy. Looks like the Senate is going to have to change its rules. And you know what? The more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm convinced that that's not a bad thing. But we will discuss all of that coming up in just a couple minutes before that. I've been I've been watching with interest this entire controversy involving former Obama's national security advisor and ambassador to the United Nations, Susan Rice. Now, in my opinion, Susan Rice has always been a piece of work. I mean, Susan Rice, for example, was the one that the Obama administration trotted out after there was the attack on the U.S. consulate in um, in, in Benghazi. Um, after there was that attack. She was the one that they put on the different TV shows after in the immediate aftermath to say this wasn't a terrorist attack. This was this was, you know, just response to a an anti-Muslim video when it was apparent that the White House, Hillary Clinton and Secretary of State, everybody knew that that was a lie. 
Susan Rice was the one they trotted out to lie to the American people. Susan Rice was the same one who, in an effort to provide cover for the Obama administration, when they cut the prisoner exchange to release, to get Bo Bergdahl released, and they, they traded a bunch of terrorists for him, she was the one that said, well, Bergdahl, he, he wasn't a deserter. He, he was, he was a, a prisoner of war. This is a brave American soldier who was captured on the battlefield. Bergdahl was the guy that walked off his post. He was a deserter, and he got caught by the Taliban. You know, after walking off, you know, off post after deserting his post. Yeah, he, he got caught. And there's many things you can say about Bo Bergdahl, but to describe him as an American prisoner of war, a brave soldier who was captured, was ridiculous. But that's who Susan Rice is. She's the one that was trotted out to do that. She finds herself in the midst of this huge scandal because it now appears that she was one of the people responsible for requesting the quote-unquote unmasking, that is, the releasing of the names of various Trump associates who were caught um, in innocent, apparently, conversations with Russians who were, in fact, being wiretapped. Now, again, we've gone through this. The way the law works is that, all right, you you have a wiretap. Let's say National Security Administration has a wiretap. They're listening to some Russian diplomat or whatever. The diplomat calls an American citizen and has a conversation with that American citizen that does not involve national security matters, doesn't involve criminal matters or whatever. It's just a, a call, all right? The way the law works is the name of that American citizen is supposed to be masked, that is, redacted in any sort of reports which are are issued, because there's no suggestion that that American citizen did anything wrong. Well, Susan Rice, in the waning days of the Obama administration, in what I believe was an effort to try to undermine the incoming Trump administration, she directed the unmasking, and there's a procedure you have to go through, but she was the one that directed the unmasking of the names of various, as it turns out, Trump associates or transition team members who were inadvertently you know, caught on these wiretaps because they were having conversations with Russian diplomats or, or whatever. No evidence that there was any wrongdoing at all, but the reports, the names weren't supposed to be in there. They were supposed to be redacted, blacked out, whatever. All right, you know, Susan Rice was one of the people who started this ball rolling to get these names essentially included in the reports. And then the reports, once they're generated, then they go out into the field. You have, uh, you have people who have all sorts of access to them. And we understand that there are people out there who are trying to undermine the Trump administration who think nothing about leaking these reports. So while I don't think there's going to be any evidence that Susan Rice herself directed the leaking of the reports, what you are, I think, going to see is that she was one of the people responsible for having these reports unmasked, the names included in the reports. So then once they get disseminated, you know that it's going to be, there's at least a good chance that somebody is going to violate the law and and leak them. Um, originally, she denied having any role, anything to do with unmasking. Now she's kind of changed her tune. Now it's, well, there, there was no political purpose in this, to which I would say, what was the purpose? If it wasn't political, what was the purpose in, again, having having the names of Trump transition members who were inadvertently caught on these wiretaps, who had nothing, you know, were not engaged in criminal activity or national security stuff? What was the purpose? She has a lot of explaining to do. The president implied yesterday she may have committed a crime. I don't know that that's the case, 
but I do think she's got a lot of explaining to do in less than two and a half minutes. Today we say farewell to a friend. Stick around. It's 954. It's 957. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the things I always tell people is that if you're on TV, and I've been on TV a lot, that people recognize you from TV, but they know you from radio. Um, you, you are kind enough to invite us into your houses, into your cars. You get to know us. And um, I always appreciate being a member of your family. And we here at WTMJ are a family as well. And every once in a while, one of our family members decides that they're, they're going to leave. So after... What we figure going on ten years total, um, Michelle Richards. Today's your last day. It Don't is. go, Michelle. <laughs> it's bittersweet, of course. I mean, you always hate to leave a place where you have such great people to work with, such a great family, like you said. Um, but my own family, I, I just need to make a little bit of a change here because I, I don't get a lot of sleep, and I have three very young children, and. I'm I'm just tired. See, I've, <laughs> I've, I've 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 been around long enough that I remember when you were. You were not Michelle Richards. You were Michelle Kotecki. No yep. kids. No. So we, know. you know, we, we we've seen we've seen several kids uh, over over the years. Huh? My life has changed dramatically since joining WTMJ. That's for sure. Well, and and again, this I just I wanted to bring you in there because I think I, I know you've been a big part of a lot of people's lives, not just here but out in the community with a number of things that you've done, and you become one of these familiar voices. And the thing that always bothers me about radio occasionally is people leave and then folks say, "What whatever happened to that Jeff Wagner? Whatever happened to that Michelle?" And I, I always think it's important to kind of give, uh, especially some of the really good people, and you're one of those really good people, just to send off to give you a chance to say goodbye to everybody. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I do appreciate all the listeners. I hear from them every now and then, not as much as you do probably. But, <laughs> you know, the ones that do send emails are always very nice. I, I haven't gotten... Well, if I get hate mail, nobody sends it my way, which is nice. But no, you want to answer some of my emails, huh? <laughs> I seem to get really good people sending me their thoughts and uh, well wishes. Even I've heard from a couple people today. Even so, thank you all so much. I really appreciate it, and uh, you'll always be in my heart. Do not be a stranger, Michelle Richards. Thanks for a wonderful decade at WTMJ, and best of wishes in your your future endeavors. I know you're going to be incredibly successful. We're going to miss you. Thank you, and I will miss you, too, and I will be listening. Uh, yeah. And sending those emails. It is 9.59, coming up in less than 10 minutes. No kids allowed. Ten oh eight, Jeff Wecker, glad to have you with us. I eat out a lot. And I, different restaurants, you have different dining experiences. If you go to a, a family restaurant, you, you expect, I think, one sort of thing. For example, if you know you walk into a Denny's restaurant, just single at Denny's, or you walk into a, a diner, you know, you expect that there's there's gonna perhaps there's gonna be families, there's gonna be kids that are there. At the same time, if you walk into well, I'm just trying to think. I, I went to a very high end restaurant uh, last Saturday night when I was in, in Las Vegas. I mean very, very high end. The meal was absolutely wonderful. And but you, you his service was tremendous. But, you know, the prices, it was priced accordingly. It was an adult type of experience. And you expect a different sort of experience there. Well, I was thinking about this because actually a couple of listeners alerted me to this story. And it's the, the latest iteration. There, um, there's there's a, a restaurant in North Carolina, Mooresville, North Carolina. And it's called Caruso's. And the, the, way, the way they describe themselves on the... The internet is the restaurant is described as traditional, classy, and intimate. 
And it's, it's sort of, I get the idea that it's a relatively high-end Italian restaurant. They say, the owners say, that, you know, over the last couple of years, they have had problems with people bringing children into the restaurant and then not controlling the children, letting the kids run throughout the restaurant. You know, the, the kids essentially being kids. And, I mean, I, I understand if, if you have, for example, if you bring a five-year-old, they, they've got a limited attention span. And so it's tough for children, especially small children, it's tough for them to sit for, you know, a, a two-hour, you know, dinner experience. And so, I mean, th- those are the type of things that, that, that end up happening. But they've been saying that they've been getting progressively more complaints from people who would bring kids into this restaurant and then the parents who wouldn't necessarily control their children. Well, apparently the breaking point happened a couple months ago where a couple comes in and they've got a, a small, a relatively small child, four or five years old. And to to help her pass the time, they give her an iPad. And I don't know if she's watching videos or, or whatever. And the child has the volume on the iPad cranked way up. So you're sitting in this intimate restaurant that describes itself as sort of, um, again, intimate um, and traditional and classy. And so there's a kid sitting there that's got the iPad, and I don't know what the child's watching, but it's cranked up, you know, full volume. And so this is this is blaring. And so apparently the maitre d' or whatever goes over and asks if they can turn this down, and the parents cop an attitude. They say, oh, this, you know, we're, it's, you know, we're here, we're eating, you know, we're going to be paying, and, you know, this is what they need. And then so the discussion goes back and forth, and ultimately, you know, the parents – they get offended because, you know, they're being told, you know, to, to turn down their kid's iPad. And the restaurant is saying, hey, we think this is disturbing other customers. So after this incident, and this was the latest in a series of incidents, it was the quote-unquote straw that broke the camel's back. The, pot, the, the restaurant says, fine, we are going to have a policy. No children under five years old are, are going to be allowed in the restaurant. You know, no children under five because they're just of the position that, hey, you know, these the small children, especially the really small children, they, they, they can't sit through this meal and they are, and it's tough to generalize, but they are, you know, hurting the dining experience for other people. Well, once this becomes public, all right, people just start from all over the world, start blasting this restaurant on its Facebook page. Here, and let me just read you a couple of comments. I would never come to your establishment. My eight-year-old has been in better restaurants than yours and is always a pleasure. How are you legally allowed? This is another one. How are you legally allowed to discriminate amazes me. Next, you will be kicking out all the elderly because they take too long to eat. Slippery slope. Um, another one. Also, a family of five requires a lot more attention from the wait staff since they're ordering so much, even though we tip extremely well because we know we're a bit of a challenge, and you as an owner can't possibly want too many big parties, big checks, and big tips coming in. What a nightmare. Obviously, sarcasm there. So they're getting all this negative feedback. But you know what is also going on? They say that the number of reservations they are getting, on a typical night, they said they averaged 50. Now it's up to 80. They say that, you know, a lot of customers are responding by saying, hey, yeah, this is this is the atmosphere that we want, and we support them on this policy. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the segment I call Dealer's Choice, not necessarily the most significant topic in the world, but I think one of the most talkable ones. All right, these various restaurants, and this is not the only restaurant that's doing this, but these various restaurants that are implementing 
no-kid policies because they just don't think their restaurant is suitable for small children, and they think that uh, in many cases small children are going to impact the dining experience of other customers. Is this terrible discrimination, or is this something that you as a restaurant patron, whether you have kids or not, would support? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. You know, again, at the risk of, of upsetting some people, I have to tell you, I mean, I think there's different experiences. And if I'm going to go out for a relatively high-end meal, I, I want an adult dining experience. And, and I, I love kids, okay? I, I really I really do. But at the same time, if I'm going to be there and I'm with um, you know, my girlfriend um, or whatever, and you want to have a nice adult dining experience, I don't want a kid, a five-year-old, you know, blasting SpongeBob SquarePants out of their iPad at the you know at full volume. I mean, does that make me a bad person? Is the restaurant owner right? Would you go to a restaurant like this or be inclined to say no? They're discriminating against children. I'm never going to go there again. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Ten fifteen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. It's ten seventeen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Jeff and Milton. Jeff. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, I, I, I think that the restaurant will do well. Um, you, you know, sometimes we get wrapped up in what comments are made on social media, but the fact that their reservations are up considerably, I, I, I think they're going to do well, and I would go to that restaurant. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, this doesn't mean you hate kids. It means that you're, I mean, different restaurants have different environments that they're trying to set. And so, again, if yeah. it's a family restaurant, if, if it's a family restaurant, it's one thing, but... I mean, even I mean, I don't have kids, Jeff, but I don't know about you. But if I had kids and I was trying to say, okay, we're 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 going out tonight. We're going to leave the kids at home. We've got a babysitter. I'm going to go out with my wife or my girlfriend or whatever for for a nice night. And I find myself sitting next to a table of loud kids, just being kids. They're not even bad kids. I, I'm going to say, hey, wait a second, this is ruining my experience. I, I and they're at least letting everybody know where they stand on this. Yeah, I, we have kids, and and we it's a separate thing. If I want to go out with my wife for a nice dinner, that's a separate thing than me taking my two kids and my wife out for a family dinner. It's a separate experience, and it should be treated that way. Well, no, I I agree, and I think you know even from your perspective. I mean, let, let's say it, it's the, the husband and the wife, and you know you you don't get to see, and it, it's a big deal. Okay, once a month, it's your date night. You get to go out and. You know, you leave the kids at home, and it's not that you don't love your kids, but it's that you leave your kids at home and, hey, hey, this is the time that, you know, we're going to have some quality time together. And I can imagine you sitting at this table, and then there's a four-year-old sitting next to you, you know, playing SpongeBob SquarePants at the top of uh, as loud as it can on the iPad. I understand why that would impact negatively the dining experience. Beth in Hales Corners. Beth, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Well, hello. So I work in a restaurant. I also have kids, and... I think this is a great idea because, you know, while I'm a firm believer that the only way for kids to learn how to act in society is to actually take them out in society, there are better restaurants for that. You know, take them to Red Robin, take them to Applebee's, you know, places like that that are more geared towards little kids and leave some adult venues in the world so that when us parents who love our children but need to get away from them, need right. to go somewhere. <laughs> We've got some place to go. Well, well yeah, see, oh, and, and you, you know, the Red Robin is a great example. My 
my nephew, who's now 10, but he, he's always loved going to Red Robin. Okay, well, that that's a place where you got all the activity going on. you got kids running around. If, if I were to go there and complain about, like, kids making noise, I'd be the one that was crazy because, okay, you know it, it's a place that caters to that sort of experience. That's different than going to, you know, craft steak in the MGM where you're paying $50 for a steak or whatever. It's a different experience. Oh, sure. And I've worked in restaurants for a long time, and I've, I mean, I've had to tell people not to let their kids climb a stone fireplace that goes all the way from the floor to the ceiling before and they get so insulted it's like no i'm it's not a I'm jungle gym <laughs> yeah, no. it's, it's, yeah, it's not a yeah no thanks i mean i see i appreciate that to me it, it's a straightforward thing and it's i mean all these people oh this is terrible it's a slippery slope next thing you're going to be saying you know no to the elderly people no it's it, it's it's different it is trying to create a certain atmosphere that is in general inconsistent with your typical five-year-old. Now, I understand there might be some five-year-olds that are, are perfectly, who do perfectly fine and can sit for a two-hour dinner, um, and, and that, that's okay, but that's not the typical dining experience. Let's look at our text line here. I completely agree with the restaurant. I would definitely go there. I have 10 grandchildren that I love dearly, but when we go out for a nice dinner, they are not invited. We once took our three- and five-year-old to a very nice restaurant in New York, and they seated us in the back next to the kitchen. Our two little ones were normal children, but they knew how to behave. When we left, the restaurant manager thanked us for coming and said, please come back and bring the girls. They are so well-behaved. You know, we knew how to, you know, raise our our children. Um, let's see, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to, let's see, Peg in Pewaukee. Peg, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Well, good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, are these restaurant owners being jerks? No. Oh, my gosh. Not at all. Not at all. They, and, I mean, the bottom line is they have the right to say that, you know, whoever they want in their restaurant, that's that's the bottom line. But from a parent standpoint, I do have one. Um, I have a daughter who's 14, and we did take her to nicer restaurants when she was younger, but she's an only child. She's mm-hmm. very well-behaved and just like, um, you guys were just talking about, um, you know, when when we took her to a nicer restaurant and she was great, we did have a comment, please bring her back. And, you know, she was great. She right. you know, was very, you know, uh, conversational. She's a great kid. So we knew that. But when, you know, she would bring a friend with her or something, it was always kind of a little different situation. But I guess my comment to you, number one, which you've already noted, was get a babysitter. That's pretty <laughs> simple, right? And if you can't, then you go to a different restaurant. Right. But number two, I mean, the gold standard, Disney, right? We're getting ready to go on a Disney cruise. Um, right. We've been on them before. Even Disney has parent-only designated yeah. restaurants. <laughs> right, so right. So if they're doing it, and the kids don't care, they don't want to be at that restaurant anyways. They want to be down in their clubs. They want to be at different restaurants. So Yeah, well, if, right. The kids are mis- – you, you take a typical 7-year-old and you yeah. park them in a high-end – restaurant where people are talking in low voices and things like that and you tell them you got to sit for a two hour you know three course or four course meal they're going to be miserable that they will be uh, the typical seven-year-old is going to be antsy by about the time the salads get there oh my god my husband it's tough for my husband sometimes <laughs> <laughs> he's antsy and he's ready to go yeah you know so but um no, I, I, I think they have every right to do whatever they want, and it sounds like it's working. So Right. Well, right. I mean, they, they lose some customers, but they gain some others. Hey, thanks for the call, Peg. I appreciate it. And good luck with the taming your husband there. Yeah, the, the Disney – I okay, I we used to go regularly to Disney with my brother and sister and along the kids because 
I don't know. I don't know who likes Disney better, my brother or 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 the my niece and nephew. But but you're right. I, I look. I like kids, but I, I will tell you by the end of after a couple of days, I, if if I never see another stroller again, I, it, it'll be you know too soon. And that's why a lot of times I would like one weekend it would be in Disney, and then the next weekend I'd make a trip to Las Vegas or something, which is kind of like an adult Disneyland. But but it, it, it's not that you don't like kids. It's just that. There is that kind of different experience, but yes, you you are absolutely correct, Peg. You know, if you, you go into a okay, if, if I'm at the Magic Kingdom and I'm in one of the restaurants at, at Disney that you know have the kids, and there's kids that are running around, and I'm like, oh, these kids are making too much noise. Well, shame on me. What am I doing in that particular restaurant? Steve and Oshkosh. Steve, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I agree with everything that has been talked about. Um, previous callers, but the thing that drives me absolutely wild is the moronic, idiotic, and inconsiderate behavior of the parents. Mm-hmm. No wonder the child is the way it was. Right. The, the parents who don't get that they're, it's inappropriate for their child to sit with the iPad cranked up full volume in a nice restaurant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, I would say enjoy yourself at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and make all the noise you want. No, um, thank, thanks for call. That's again, it's it, it's one of these different types of things. I, I was glad to see the story. I'm sorry that the owners of the restaurant took heat, but I, again, the proof is in the pudding. And I'm sure they lost a little bit of business, but the truth is, they ended up gaining more. So it's a net gain. Ten twenty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Hey, much is being said about this change to the Senate rules. It's the nuclear option. They're going to eliminate the filibuster. You know what? I think that's good. We'll talk about it. 1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, it's not just restaurants. Um, our text line has just kind of exploded. Here's what Steve writes. I had to laugh when I heard your topic on kids being barred from high-end restaurants. My wife and I went to one of the fine, well-known steakhouses in Brookfield last night on a date night. When they finally resolved the issue with the five and under class, Let's hope they can then strategize a formula in an effort to control the drunken, foul-mouthed businessmen that we have had the occasion to experience. The table next to me and my wife uh, we had last night had four drunken businessmen dropping the F-bomb over the course of an hour repeatedly. I candidly think the crying baby would have been a breath of fresh air. Fortunately for us, that we, we were, the four were, were finishing up. Yeah, that's, that, is always, that is always an issue as well. Um, I just got back, like I say, from Las Vegas, and, and you certainly see that where, I mean, it's an adult sort of environment, but you're sitting around, and you're kind of in the elevator, and there's the four young women who've been drinking since, oh, I don't know, it's 10 in the morning, and they've probably been drinking since about 9 o'clock the night before, or 9 in the morning the day before, and they're in the elevator just talking about all sorts of stuff. First of all, you don't need to know the information, but every second or third word is a word that you could not say on the radio, and you would hope that they wouldn't say in front of their mothers, but that might be, mom might be where they learn the words from. Um, Jeff Ventosa says, I would like to see more movie theaters do this, regardless of the Motion Picture Association ratings. I could tell many stories, but the best example is <clears throat> when some young girls um, actually were close to starting a brawl in the movie theater um, at Mayfair. Yeah, there's all those different things. So, I, I, again, it's th- there's no... I appreciate that there's really nowhere you can go to get away from bad behavior and and at least at least if it's a five year old you can understand it. The drunken businessmen or the the crazed young women in the elevators, uh they're ones that you would think should know better, but unfortunately they do not. 
It is 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers round out their season opening series with the Rockies today in a matinee at Miller Park. Our coverage with Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering gets underway 12.05 this afternoon, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Uh, Brewers finally put together a, an entire game yesterday, pitching, hitting, solid defense, big win. Hopefully they can build on that. They, they've actually um, they, they've had a chance to win all three of the, the games and unfortunately come up a little bit short. But this is this is going to be a fun Brewers team. They're certainly going to be interesting to watch, and I think they're going to be um, interesting, of course, to listen to as well. So check it out, uh, 12.05 this afternoon, coverage sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. All right, I want to talk about this issue from from the bigger picture perspective. The U.S. Senate, under the Constitution, has the ability to make its own rules. And a rule of the Senate has been that in order to cut off debate on an issue, you need 60 votes. So that means that the the minority... You know, if you've got if you've got 41 senators out of 100 who decide that they don't want an issue to pass, you have the minority has the ability in the U.S. Senate to block something from happening by engaging in what's called the filibuster. That's not in the Constitution. It's just a rule of the Senate. And I think, as everybody knows, a few years back, um, when the Democrats controlled the Senate, and when President Obama, a Democrat, was in the White House, the Democrats got frustrated with not being able to get district court and appellate court judges through the system. So Harry Reid simply changed the rules. And you can change the rules by a majority vote. All you need is 51 senators. And there's a procedure you have to go through. It's about a nine-step process. I won't bore you with that. But they went through this process, and they changed the rule. They said when it comes to appointments of district judges and appellate judges, we're changing the rules. You only need 51 votes, and boom, all sorts of liberal judges that Barack Obama wanted to appoint suddenly got appointed because Republicans could no longer block them. That was the so-called nuclear option. Well, they didn't change the rules with regard to Supreme Court appointments. So now the, the shoe is on the other foot. Republicans control the Senate. You have a Republican in the White House. There's a Supreme Court vacancy. And, you know, Donald Trump has appointed appellate judge Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court bench. Everybody, I think, pretty much acknowledges that he is a solid choice. There's no scandal. This isn't some, again, non-mainstream type of judge. He's going to be a conservative justice, but he's a mainstream type of, of jurist. Democrats because they're getting pressure from the, the left fringes who, who have decided, okay, if you know our strategy is going to be block everything Trump does, to say no, no, no to everything that Trump does. His approval ratings are now, they're, they're actually in the mid-40s right now. They're, they're, they're ticking up. But you know this is the way we're going to be obstructionist. So the, the special interest groups are saying to the Democrats, hey, if, if you go along with this, if you allow an up or down vote, we are going to punish you. And so right now, the way it stands is you have all 52 Republicans who support Gorsuch, and you have three or four Democrats from states that supported Donald Trump. So they're, they're like, okay, we'll allow an up or down vote, but that's not enough to get past the, that's not enough to get you to 60 to end the filibuster. So what is going to happen probably sometime today or tonight 
or at the latest tomorrow, the Senate rules are going to be changed. They're going to do away with the ability to filibuster on the Supreme Court nominee, and and Neil Gorsuch will be confirmed with 52 votes, all the Republicans will vote for him, and maybe a handful of Democrats will as well. I, I, I don't know that. But the rules are going to be changed. The filibuster is going to be ended. And my goodness, I, I'm looking at... I'm looking at the headlines in some of the very liberal mainstream media papers. New York Times, on the Supreme Court split, it's bad for the country. USA Today, don't nuke the Senate, our our view. Mitch McConnell, they're evening the score by using the no, uh, the, the option. Senate plunge, Washington Post, Senate plunges towards historic rules change in Supreme Court standoff. You know, and all these things are saying, oh, we're going to be changing these rules. It's, the Senate is the greatest deliberative body in the world. How terrible this is. Well, I've really been thinking a lot about this as it goes on. First of all, the Republicans have no choice but to do this because the reality is nobody that Donald Trump would nominate would not be subject to a filibuster. So if they don't do this, what you're going to have is you're going to essentially have a Supreme Court vacancy for at least you know four years. And as I've always argued, elections have consequences. Trump is the president. Republicans have a majority in the U.S. Senate. All right, that that to me is the voter saying, all right, we, we want to give you the keys to the government. Here, you govern. And if we don't like what you're doing, you know, we'll toss you out in two or four years. But so they, they have no choice to do it because you've got to fill this vacancy on the Supreme Court. But to me, the bigger issue is whether or not the, the filibuster even makes any sense anymore. I mean, elections have consequences. We have representative government. And the idea that a minority can obstruct legislation, I think, quite candidly, is almost anti-American. This idea that you you could, in the House of Representatives... It's really straightforward. I mean, it's, it's, you know, 50 plus one, you know, a majority rules. Why should it be any different in the U.S. Senate? Right. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, the more I think about this, I I guess I just think this whole notion that the minority, uh, a minority should be able to block legislation in a representative government being pushed by the majority, I don't think that makes any sense anymore. And especially in, in cases like nowadays where we become just so politically polarized that as in the Gorsuch nomination, it's not about whether or not he's qualified. Everybody, I think, acknowledges he's qualified. It's simply about we want to obstruct this so we can. I mean, I just, I just don't think the filibuster belongs – Anywhere, 414-799-1620, whether it's for tax issues, and again, there's limits. The filibuster's been rolled back for different things, but I just don't think that the filibuster belongs anymore anyways. Elections have consequences, and it doesn't matter to me whether it's Republicans in control or Democrats in control. I think the parties in power should have the ability to govern, and if the electorate, that's you and me, doesn't like what the party in power has done, like Obamacare, we have the ability to vote the bums out at the next election. But this idea that you can block progress, again, I'm pre- I, I mean, 
I, I don't care whether we're talking about Republicans or Democrats. The idea that you can block legislative efforts or appointments by a minority, I think, is wrong. 4147, I'm glad to see the filibuster go. I hope it goes for everything. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1043. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. 1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Meet the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017. I'm going to be hosting it at Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. Two weeks from last night, it's Wednesday, April 19th, on the eve of the 50th Summerfest, sit down and see a rare interview with Bob Babich and Don Smiley together. They're, they're going to be together. What's in store for this milestone Summerfest? What surprises are yet to come? Let's tell some war stories about uh, Summerfest past. How can they possibly top having the Rolling Stones and Paul McCartney on the main stage the last two years? There are only 13 days left until Insight 2017. Go to WTMJ.com, get your tickets online, check out the full guest list. Um, it is going to be a lot of fun. Okay, right, right before the break, I, the, the Senate's getting ready to use the nuclear option. They are going to do away with the filibuster option in order to confirm Neil Gorsuch. I say good, and not just for the Gorsuch thing. I, the more I think about this, you know, why should, in a representative government, why should 41 senators be able to block something that the president agrees with that the House of Representatives agrees with, and that a majority of the U.S. Senate agrees with. Let's start with John in Illinois. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, uh, a regular listener for years. Hi, John. Just enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. Congratulations on the, the how well you're doing on the new time slot. Thank you very much. Here's what we uh, remember from back. It was about the first two-thirds of the 20th century. The filibuster rule was used to make it impossible to have any kind of civil rights legislation. Yes. The whole civil rights movement was stalled for about, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe 100 years or something because of the filibuster rule. And it's a bad rule, and you're exactly right. It should go. Yeah, I mean, it's the civil right. That you're, you know, it's interesting. I was watching a, um, I, I was watching a, a movie on, uh, like a documentary about Lyndon Johnson. And that was, you're, you're exactly right. You had a handful of Southern Democratic um, senators who were able to use the filibuster, like you say, to block civil rights legislation. And it was interesting to watch all the parliamentary maneuvering that Johnson had to go through to try to get civil rights legislation through. Yeah, I mean, it's at some point in time, you, you have to simply say that the majority rules and, and let it go from there. Exactly no. right, yes. No, thanks for call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I guess that's... I, this idea that, well, the Senate is the greatest deliberative body in the world, eh, come on, let's be serious. Let's talk to uh, Joe on the south side. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, morning, Jeff. You know, it, it just seems to me, back when Obama put in his nominee, you were all for him not getting it. You were all for the filibuster rule. That no, it wasn't the fil- no, 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 it wasn't the filibuster. Republicans had the majority yeah, in the U.S. Senate. The That's different. But that's different than the years, filibuster. Two years they blocked that, and then somehow, you know, we get a, you know, we elect a president that I don't know. I mean, how he got the just still old, nobody is elected. Yeah. Personally, I don't think this Gorsuch is a bad person for the job. That's about the best that the Democrats can get. But the thing is, if if you take away that rule, it, why did they put it in there in the first place? Then? Well, I, I mean. 
because they wanted to give the minority essentially, and, and again, Republican or Democratic minority, they wanted to give them a, a veto power over legislation. But I mean, it, it, d- defend the rule, I guess, to me, Joe. I mean, tell me why, if let's let, let's let, let's imagine that there is a Democratic president in power, and so there's there's something on your wish list, and the Democrats have Democrat in in the White House, a Democrat controlled um, House of Representatives and a majority in the U.S. Senate. And there's a, something that they've been pushing. It's part of representative government. Why should a minority, why, why should 42 Republicans be able to block that? Well, I see your point on that. But the only problem is, is that when this turns around the other way, and it's going to happen, you know, that there's going to be a time and probably in our lifespan here, mm-hmm. really quick, you're going to have a majority of Democrats. Mm-hmm. Then what's going to happen? Well, but it already has. I mean, we saw, I mean, Harry Reid, you know, is the one that started down this path when, you know, he did this, you know, four years ago when the Democrats controlled the, the Senate and, you know, he didn't want the, the nominees to the district court or the appellate court to be blocked. You know, so, I mean, th- th- this has been, I mean, th- this, this was started, you know, a, a few years ago. But I, again, I want to, I mean, I'm just intrigued by the whole basic concept of this and, the idea that a minority in a representative government, that a minority, whether it's a minority, whether it's Republicans or whether it's Democrats, should be able to block legislation. Now, it's one thing, and that's why I, I, I corrected Joe. I mean, okay, the, the reason that Merrick Garland didn't get an up or down vote in the last seven or eight months of the Obama administration had nothing to do with the filibuster. Republicans controlled the U.S. Senate. So it was a situation where the Republican majority said, you know, this is, he's a lame duck president. You know, we don't think he should be the one in the last X number of months of his presidency to fill this. We think it should be done by the next president. That, by the way, if you were listening to my show at the time, I argue that that was a high risk strategy because at the time, many, many people, myself included, thought that um, you know Merrick Garland was going to be a much he would have been a much more moderate justice than anyone that Hillary Clinton would have appointed so I thought you could have made a strong argument looking at what was going to happen hey there's going to be a good chance that Democrats are going to take control of the US Senate and Hillary Clinton's going to be elected maybe Republicans should cut their losses and let Garland go on to the bench okay well as it turns out that's not the way it worked out but it wasn't because of the filibuster. It was because the Republicans had a majority. And let's not kid ourselves, all right? If if Harry Reid had still been the majority leader, if it had been 55 Democrats as opposed to, you know, 55 Republicans, I think that's what the number was, you know, back then, it, there, there's no question that, that they wouldn't have allowed the filibuster. They would have done this. So this is kind of turnabout fair play. But, you know, the more and more I think about this, and I've been trying to think big picture on this whole thing, not just should Gorsuch be confirmed, but also, you know, the big picture is, does the filibuster really even make sense anymore? Um, Jeff and Appleton writes on our text line, I think an even bigger issue is the strength and power of special interest groups. They're not our elected officials, and of our elected officials are under their control. Um, you know, well, there is, there is this entire thing um it's one of the situations there where uh, again you're you're in the situation where 
all right, you, you've you've got to have you've got to have progress. We complain about gridlock. We complain about stuff not getting done, right? Well, all right, these filibuster rules is what participates and what causes the gridlock. And especially given the hyper-partisanship nature and the fact that, again, let's just look at the what's going on right now with Neil Gorsuch, that the filibuster isn't because there are a majority of Democrats who seriously think he's unqualified. This isn't like, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to be a crook or it's a scandal. He, the, the filibuster is solely because... We have special interest groups that are telling us you can't cooperate with Republicans and all. You have to obstruct. And if you don't obstruct everything, you know, we're going to find people further to the left that are going to run against you, which is the reason why there's only a handful of Democrats for at last count who, again, are senators. I think in all four cases they're up for reelection um, in 2018, and they come from states that Trump won. So they're trying to look out for themselves in this. But otherwise, the Tammy Baldwins of the world have all fallen in lockstep with the special interest groups. And you know, why should Terry? Why should Tammy Baldwin be able to block, as a member of the minority, be able to block the next Supreme Court justice? Ten fifty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. It is 1058, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ on the doorstep of an NBA playoff berth. The Bucks battle the Pacers. That is tonight in Indianapolis. Ted Davis begins our Buckshot pregame coverage at 540 here on WTMJ. Okay, coming up in less than 10 minutes, Milwaukee officials suggesting they know what to do to bring the Northridge Mall and area back. They know how to revitalize it. I think the question is, did we drug test them before they attended this particular press conference? And then coming up a little bit later on, it is Thursdays during the 1130 segment. We do Pop Culture Corner. It's going to be a fun one today. So that's all coming up. Stick around. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven oh seven, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And that is a wrap for Michelle Richards. That's it, pal. Okay. That's it. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. She's out of here. She's taillights. We will miss you. We will miss you. That was the last newscast. and She was like, yeah, they're making me work right, right down to the end. So um, we will miss Michelle. She has been a wonderful addition and a great friend for a long time. And just wish her well in her future endeavors. Okay. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I, um, I grew up in Glendale. I've spent, oh, most of my life here in the Milwaukee area, love this community, and I've seen a lot of changes that have gone on. Back back when I was a teenager, I spent many, many hours of my misbegotten youth hanging out at Northridge Shopping Center. Originally, there was South, when, when we first moved here when I was like nine years old, there, you know, the, the shopping, the Bayshore, I mean, I grew up right by Bayshore, which at the time was like an L-shaped, what we would call strip mall kind of now. Um, then you had Southridge, and then you had Northridge, and if you're not familiar with Northridge, it used to be, and I say used to be, a thriving shopping mall located on like 76th and and Brown Deer Road. There was a a thriving apartment complex, Northridge Lakes, that sprung up in the shadow of it. Um, On the other side of Brown Deer Road, you had... You had all sorts of retail development as well. There used to be this big Chi-Chi's that, I mean, you'd wait in line for two hours to get into this Chi-Chi's restaurant. There was a Target. There was all sorts of development. Um, 
up and down Brown Deer Road. But the highlight, of course, was Northridge. And I understand that nowadays you drive past that area and you think that I, I'm just you can't believe what I'm talking. But but Northridge, I mean, there were there was a time when there were I, I think they had four anchor department stores. They had movie theaters. They had restaurants. I mean, Northridge was this thriving place, and it was the place where if you were a kid and you grew up in the North Shore, or you right whether it's whether it's Mequon or Glendale or River Hills or whatever, that's the place you went to hang out. Big movie theater, all these different restaurants, and like I say, spent a lot of time there. Uh, Northridge just imploded. Um, the the problem was it got a reputation of being crime plagued. So what happened is a lot of suburban shoppers decided to stop going to Northridge. And as a result, a number of stores ended up closing. And then you get into this death spiral. I mean, stores, people aren't coming to shop, so then more and more shops close. And at the end, it was really depressing to see, you know, what, what ended up happening to Northridge. And now, now there, there's really, there's nothing out there. Even some of the, the stores that used to be across the way on Brown Deer Road, they are largely, if not almost entirely gone. Um, the stores, the places, places like Toys R Us and all, which hung on for years in the ring around the outside of Northridge or along the perimeter, I, that, that's now closed. It's just, and it's been sitting vacant for years and years and years. Other parts of the city have, in fact, been developed. You know, you have you know the downtown area, a lot of resources put into that. They're trying to figure out how to revive Grand Avenue. But Northridge, Northridge, there's nothing there. And attempts over the years to try to develop stuff there have not worked out. Um, but yet, still, they try. So there's a new concept that's out there. You had these Milwaukee officials um, late, late, late last week um, were saying, okay, we, we've got these plans. We, we've got these different companies that are going to move into the former Northridge Mall. Um, you know, we, we've got all this stuff. The alderman from out there says, we're really excited. We've got all these things going on. And so they had this meeting last night at uh, Vincent High School. Here, here's the way the Business Journal reports it. New job-creating industrial buildings and an open-air retail center could be built around the former, the empty former Northridge Mall under a conceptual revitalization plan for Milwaukee's Granville neighborhood. Revitalizing the vacant mall at North 76th Street and West Down Brown Deer Road is one concept included in a long-range plan meant to guide future development efforts on the city's northwest side. The plan is still being drafted, yes, but um, there were concepts, and the idea is we're not going back to what it uh, used to be. We're not going back to the retail that was there, so we're look. That's because they can't find anybody that would do that. So now we're we're looking at you know the, these different concepts, long range plans. See the mall buildings remaining, becoming a large light industrial facility for a single employer. Several new light industrial buildings could be around that. And then what they're talking about is then a public plaza lined by retailers could be built you know near the area. So that's the idea. All right. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not mean to be the guy that comes and says, okay, are we we kidding each other? But as a practical matter, are we kidding each other? I mean, is there anything realistically in the next 5 to 10 or 15 years that can be done, and I'm talking about realistically, to revitalize that area? Because right now, all the arrows are, are down. 
Retail, it's not a designation at all, not a destination. So this idea, is it really practical to say, hey, you know, we're going to turn this into light industrial and then we'll have retail that springs up around it. Is there really, is, is, is this an idea that really has any chance of succeeding? Or might we be best to say, hey, there's limited resources and maybe we need to concentrate on some areas. If we've got limited resources, we're, we're really, there is some possibility for growth. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. And again, excuse me for being skeptical, but I mean, show me, show me the businesses that are going to come in and employ thousands of people, retrofit that vacant mall building, employ thousands of people, and then show me all the businesses that are then going to want to line up in that area, given all the issues that exist. Let's start with Bob on the northwest side. Bob, your neck of the woods. Good morning. It's not going to happen, Jeff. That area has gone downhill so badly. I grew up on 76 and Capitol. And like you, we probably passed each other several times <laughs> as kids in that mall. Sure. We, yeah, I had my first date there at the, mm-hmm. at the movie theater and took the 76th Street bus out there. Sure. But the area since then, my father worked for the city, has just gone downhill. That used to be a working-class, blue-collar area, and it's just not anymore. Now, I, even if they turn it into industrial, I wouldn't want myself or any of my family members to have to park a car and walk into a building out there because it's that bad. Yeah. I was held up at the gas station on 92nd and Brown Deer Road about two years ago, arm robbed, just pumping gas in my car. Right. And I, I, I don't even go to the area anymore. It's just, it's bad. And I don't think you have enough cops to, to patrol it. You know, the only way it worked, put a, put a big fence around it with barbed wire and that's, <laughs> and security guards. And that's the only way I'd go into that area and go to work there. Well, you know, I'm trying to picture, Bob, if, right, if the idea is, okay, we, we want to create like this outdoor retail area. We want to, Turn it into something like they have at Bayshore Town Center. I mean, I'm no thinking, okay, right. Explain to me where these these retailers are going to come from. You're going to put an Apple store there. You're going to put a Coach store there. Come on, nope. it just, it, yeah. no. The people won't support that. You know, the problem is that the people won't go there because they're afraid to go there because that area has. And let's face it, it's turned into a mini war zone out on the northwest side. Right. It really has. With the carjackings, the armed robberies. It's just, it's a bad place to be. Yeah, I just don't think, and I guess what I start wondering about is, given the fact that you have limited resources, I mean, seriously, if you, if you're the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, and you're, you're trying to convince a light industrial business to move to the city of Milwaukee and locate and bring jobs, is that really the area that you're going to be trying to push them in, or are you going to be trying to say, hey, I've got more attractive locations here, come down to the valley, or, or wherever that might yep. be? I mean, that, yeah. yeah. No, thanks for calling. I'm sorry, and I, I mean, cut you off there. I mean, I don't mean to be, I, again, this, this negative guy. I remember what Northridge was, but it, it was, I won't even say it's in a death spiral now. I mean, all the stores across the way, um, the, the, the Target store is gone now, the shopping centers. I mean, I understand there's some places that are hanging on, but they're just, I, I think, hanging on. My guess is a lot of those businesses are hanging on because they can't get out of their leases or whatever. Jay in Milwaukee. Jay, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning, and thank you for taking my yes, sir. call. By, by the way, I'm one of your high school classmates, so <laughs> all the things you're talking about, I can remember. Yep. Um, and was in several classes with you. Nonetheless, the issue is going to be they're going to have to do exactly the same thing they did with all that property that was uh, a 
available for years and years and years that was knocked down during the Norquist administration, uh, the 794 spur into downtown, there's still got vacant land, and they've basically given it away. Yep. And the, the development's going to have to be literally free and publicly subsidized. Yeah, and I guess, and, and see, and I, and, and, the, and the question that I have, Jay, is even, even if it's that, you know, you're talking about like the whole Park East development stuff. Again, if I'm, if I'm retail or I'm, I'm light industrial and I'm looking to come into, Mo, into the city of Milwaukee, th- there's all sorts of other locations that I want to be closer to. Maybe I'm going to be looking at that area downtown if there's space and that type of stuff. There, there's only so much, there's only so many businesses that can kind of come in and revitalize an area. The light industrial might make sense because if you go to 92nd Street and South, there's a couple of industrials with some very large, like, snap-on tools. And right. um, uh, if you can sell it to that and give some, you know, we'll do the infrastructure building, yeah. um, they might be able to do it. And that would be your light industrial. And, and uh, they're equal distance probably from I-43 and from 4541. Yeah, but, so how much you, but then the question, question is, how much are you talking about to do something like that? You know, to make, no, I mean, I get, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just, this is, they roll out this, this is this grand conceptual idea, and this is what we're looking at, and light industrial, and oh, okay, well, all right, I, I will get excited about this when you, you know, come in and you show me the names of the places and the people that, that want to do this. I mean, you know, I mean, right now, of course, what the, the place is um, owned by, it's the, the Chinese conglomerate. Who wanted to turn this into some like giant like like Asian craft fair or type of thing? Um, you know, marketplace for Asian product products, but you know nothing nothing's going on. You know, with that, I mean, look, I, I understand these sound great. They're they're five they're they're pie in the sky things. You've got these local architects who are saying all this stuff is there, but all right, why don't we kind of live you know in the reality? I drove past there that that area the other day, and I guess. I had even forgotten. There used to be this huge Menard store that was on um, 76th Street, just to the south of Northridge. I guess I hadn't realized that had closed. I mean, it just hadn't been out in that area, you know. A- after all, and they're talking about, well, you know, this 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 could be, you know, redeveloped as a mix of urban agriculture, kitchens, and a farmers market. Okay, well, all right, that, that's great. You can give me plots of empty land, and I'm going to be able to say, hey, let's put a horse track here or whatever. But the the reality is. If the business model doesn't support it, it doesn't support it. So I, I wish everybody the best of luck, but uh, I'm. This is one where you know. Okay, show me contracts. You know, show me names. You know, show me the names, Mister Mayor. Okay, show me the commitments. Show me the money before I'm going to be able to believe that. Unfortunately, Northridge is going to be able to turn around, be turned around. And I think it's an absolute travesty that what happened happened. But maybe that's just the reality. Eleven twenty one. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ. 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Jerry downtown. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I was a retailer in 1973 when Northridge um, was beginning to to boom, and um, it was um, doing very, very well. But with years later, um, the problem um, developed because when Mayor Meyer and Taubman Company went into agreement that low-income housing would be required in the neighborhood, that was the beginning of the end. 
I think that it started spiraling and became uh, more of a nuisance and a problem for the for that region. And when all the crime increased more and more, um, that's why Northridge went down. So yeah, I as a matter of fact, I have a text from somebody who makes that point. You know, you're talking about crime in the area. The reason the stores. Uh, the reason some of the stores left the area was because there was so much shoplifting that they became underperforming stores. Yeah. And they got the bad reputation that it was a dangerous place, and, of course, you can't undo that, and um, it just grows worse. Yeah. I was a retailer there right near the end and um, had to close the store because it wasn't worth what yeah. they were asking for. Right, and, and that's where you get into that spiral, because what happens is fewer and fewer people start shopping there, so... You know, you're you're not you're not making money, so you end up closing, and more stores start closing, and then there's no reason to, for the shoppers to go there, and it's a death spiral. Sure. And these people that are saying that we need this development to happen, this will bring the area back. They're in fantasy. They're not dealing with reality. It's free enterprise that makes anything happen, and um, they're just um, playing a role here. It's not reality. Thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. Now I said the Menards is closed. Now the, the Menards. That I remember on 76th Street, that was that became like a mountain bike store, and, and that's gone. But some people are saying that you know Menards is still there. Tony in Brookfield. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, yeah, I was in that Menards store about two weeks ago, actually. Okay, it's which a nice what store. what Menards are we talking about? Where uh, is the it? The one, the one is uh, on the Northwest property. Actually, they built it where the old Sears was, I believe. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking of the one that used to be further south on 76th Street. That's that's yep. not there's, right. There's a Home Depot that uh, went in on uh, 76th and uh, Good Hope. That actually closed, and that's actually now a pick and save. Right, and there was a Lowe's store that I think is closed as, as well. Yeah, I mean, that was a Capitol Court. Yeah. Um, oh, then down the road, actually. Yeah, on, seven, on, on Brown Deer Road, yeah. I, there's so many closings, it's tough that you need a scorecard, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and you know what I actually think they could do with that property? I think they could move all of those City of Milwaukee repair shops off of... Um, off of, uh, oh, God, the street that's uh, Canal Street. Oh, right down by the casino and stuff, okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe do more, you get more redevelopment there, potential there, heading into the city, than you do up on, on the north side, and they could get some modern shops. Yeah, I guess, see, I just, idea. I know, I mean, it, it is an idea, and there's all these ideas that are out there, but if, if you if you agree with my premise that there's going to be a finite amount of development, I mean, you raise an interesting point. Right now, we're, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to continue to, develop the, the area around the Bucks Arena and around Schlitz and all that. We're constantly trying to work on the area between Miller Park and, like, the Potawatomi Casino down there on Canal Street. Right? Just, I mean, how much development is there going to be, and how many resources can you seriously put into it? Look, I, I hope somebody's able to wake. Nothing would make me happier than somebody being able to wave a magic wand, and all of a sudden, you know, the North Ridge of 1978 is, is back. I'm just... I've been hearing about these plans for years and years and years. Nothing materializes, and I guess I'm going to have to be convinced. It's 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Get to know the people behind the headlines. It's Insight 2017. I'm going to be hosting it at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee two weeks from yesterday. It's Wednesday night, April 19th. I'm going to sit down with longtime radio team of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarron, less than a week before the 2017 NFL Draft. We're going to get the inside scoop on the Packers' needs, reinforcements for Aaron Rodgers, how the team plans to get back to the NFC Championship game. Plus, if I am lucky, I'm going to try to get Wayne and Larry to tell some of those stories that they tell, you know, off the air over a beer. We'll try to get them to to tell those stories. And trust me, if I'm able to do that, those stories worth the price of admission alone. There are only 13 days left until Insights 2017, so get your tickets online and check out the full guest list at WTMJ.com. All right, we do this Every Thursday morning during this segment, we put away the heavy lifting, the, you know, what's going to happen with the Gorsuch nomination. He's going to be confirmed probably tomorrow. You know, what should Donald Trump do with Syria? Uh, Your guess is as good as mine. You know, what about the Republican initiatives to reform and replace, uh, repeal and replace Obamacare? Um, go back to the drawing board and you know, come back a few months later. All, all these, we put aside the, the heavy lifting type of stuff and we try to have a little bit of fun. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner and we talk about things that are in the pop culture. We talk about, um, well, sometimes it's food. Um, sometimes it's movies. Sometimes it's TV. Sometimes it's sports. It's just, you know, whatever has been typically what happens is it's something that's either in the news or has been going on in my life that triggers a particular reaction. Now, Today's comes from the world of, of music, and it's actually, I want to revisit something we talked about maybe a month or two, a couple months ago, because I had an interesting experience. As I was saying, I was in Las Vegas last weekend, and um, this time around, I, I saw a series of, of shows. I saw the uh, Beatles, the Cirque du Soleil thing that's at the Mirage called, called Love, which is like Cirque du Soleil is the you know acrobats and the 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 performers and stuff, and it's done to you know the Beatles music, very very cool. On Friday night, I saw Rod Stewart. He was playing at uh, Caesar's Palace, and he, he was having a tough night. I mean, he, there's there's no question. Rod is 72 years old, and he was having all sorts of problems with his voice. But to his credit, I mean, he he was acknowledging that he was having problems with his voice and hitting some of the notes and stuff were very, very difficult. And then Saturday night, I I went to see, you know, Jimmy Buffett, who was, of course, everybody knows I'm a big parrot head. Um, I'm sure this happened during the Beatles segment, but, I I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm watching Rod Stewart. And there, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a good show. Like I say, his voice was kind of rocky and things like that. But there was a point. It was actually like the second last show, last song uh, in the show. And he goes out in the audience with the band, and he's singing Maggie May, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. And actually, the, the person I was with, she said, "You, you don't didn't know what you did, but you just when when he started playing Maggie May, you just visibly sat forward in in your seat." And we're like focused with this incredible intensity on that. And I said, "What? Well, yeah, I didn't notice doing that, but it was. I mean, this is like one of the, this song is like one of the soundtracks of my lifetime. So I mean, I would, And I will tell you this. Like I say, that the concert, I thought, you know, I was glad I got a chance to see Rod Stewart. He wasn't in particularly good voice. He tried his best, but it was whatever the tickets cost. And I don't even remember now. It, it was worth it to see Rod Stewart play Maggie May. I, that, that was that. All I needed to see was that that one song." Um, the next night, we're at the Buffett show, and I think the reaction was pretty much the same. I like a lot of the Buffett songs, but there's one or two that, that he does, these songs that absolutely speak to me. One is this ballad he does called Pirate Looks at 40. And, um, again, my friend, she said, 
you know, your your reaction when he started that was exactly the same reaction that I watched you you had with Maggie May. And I'm not even thinking about it. It's just okay. Th- this this song is the one that, that it it speaks to me. And you're going to sit forward and you're going to pay attention. And I was thinking, you know, there there are we all have that song. And I'm sure, you know, for many of us, there, there's multiple songs. But again, for me, it, it, was, it was Maggie May, it was Pirate Looks at 40, and I had a chance to see the, the artists who, you know, made them famous, you know, perform them. And, and my reaction was, hey, I'm sitting forward, I, I'm paying attention, boom, you know, this is it. And I thought this might be a fun segment for Pop Culture Corner, especially in light of my experience last week. The one song that speaks to you, it's that song that maybe when it comes on the radio, you, you sing along. You know, it's that one song that makes you stop and think back to, you know, a different time. You know, maybe it's that song that you hear it and it takes you back to that, you know, summer night in 1978 where you were at the drive-in theater or the park or, or whatever. I, music does that to us. But I, but I know for, for all of us, there is that one song that just when you hear it, it takes you back. It transports you to the different time. It speaks to you. So that's Pop Culture Corner today, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The song that speaks to you. We'll be back to take your calls next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Again, um, my advice in these segments, I always say the same thing, but it's our phone lines tend to jam up, so call quickly. And um, also... You know, don't overthink it. Sometimes people, oh, am I going to sound silly? But, you know, typically when I throw out this topic, a song pops into your mind, um, the song that speaks to you. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It is 1141. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1144, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Pop Culture Corner. Bobby and Kenosha on our text line writes... Um, I'm seeing Billy Joel for the first time. I'm hoping he plays Captain Jack to bring me back to my good old college days, singing it in bars with my friends. Yes, that, that's what I'm talking about. That, that one song that when you hear it, you just stop, and it takes you back to that different time. Rob in Cudahy. Rob, good morning. Morning. Um, the song that gives me chills, and it's a sad song, and it's a long song, but it's called Taxi. By Harry Chapin. By, by Harry Chapin. Sure. Make good. Uh, chills run up and down your spine when you listen to it it's very profound right about uh, the kind of the lost love he, he's he's driving the cat the taxi and he runs into the woman that he was with at a different part in his time in his life and right, just drops right. her off no tag it's thank, thanks for, harry chapin taken way too soon by the way he does a lot of great stuff michael in waukesha michael that song that makes you stop i have to mind sweet judy blue eyes and uh, la woman la woman and you know, it's amazing how much stuff the doors have that really i i would I would agree. I kind of stop. And, yeah, Sweet Julie, uh, Judy Blue Eyes, uh, Car- Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Can't go wrong with that. No, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Uh, let's talk to Danny in Milwaukee. Danny, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, mine is Glory Days by Springsteen. Oh, yeah. Which I kind of laugh at because I really can't stand the guy's music. <laughs> oh, but what? for some reason, you know, I I hear the, the crack of the drums on that, that the keyboard right. part, and I just... I crank it up, yeah. and then finally I started listening to the words to it, and I was like, wow, that's really a poignant song. Oh, yeah. No, and, I, as I get, and as I get older, my body turns to hell. <laughs> I start 
realizing that that song makes a heck of a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I mean, right, the Glory Days is one. I mean, there's a lot of Springsteen stuff. For, for me, I mean, Born to Run, I mean, certainly would be one of them. Um, keeping with the Springsteen theme on our on our uh, talk, our text line, Mary says, uh, hey, it's it's Bruce Springsteen. It's Thunder Road for me. Sure. 414-799-1620. Christina in Hartford. Christina, that song that makes you stop and takes you back. Hi, Jack. Hi, Christina. It's Dreamer by Ozzy Osbourne. Okay. Tell me why. <laughs> it is the epitome of me. Not so much Ozzy, though. I do love Ozzy, but... It just, um, I'm the very optimistic person. I'm the one who always walks in the room and pumps everybody up. And the song is about why we just all can't get along. And that's just me, even though I know it's a crazy world out there. Um, right. Exactly. Um, thanks. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. It's, um, I've been kind of like running through things and I, I understand, you know, I, you know, I'm asking people just to limit it to one. I was, I was thinking we were talking about that almost any Creedence song. I mean, that, that's, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that where you hear when you when you hear a Creedence song come on, it, it has kind of like the the same reaction. Gary in Menominee Falls. Gary, good morning. You're in six twenty WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Gary. Uh, for me, it's uh, especially on this time of the year, day like this. Here comes the sun by George Harrison. Oh, yes, that was um, actually that was one of the tunes that they played in the, uh, the the Beatles Cirque du Soleil thing that I was at. You know, here comes the oh, sun. Cool. No, it was it. Yeah, it, you know, thanks. I mean, thanks. That there's lots of Beatles tunes that would fit into that, you know, same category. Tom in Waukesha. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, another Billy Joel song. Not always in a good way, but Good Night Saigon. Yeah, just um, it just kind of that's one that just gives you pause and makes you stop, huh? Yeah, it's you know, we met as inmates at Paris Island. We left as you, yeah. we left as soulmates, right? And left as inmates. Um, yeah, yeah he, I think, I mean, it's, again, that's, I mean, there's a lot of the Billy Joel stuff that, um, that ends up, uh, you know, fitting into that category as well. Let's see, Dancing in the Moonlight, that's one on our text line. Yeah, that one certainly would be an appropriate one. Uh, John and Jefferson writes, Baby Blue by Badfinger. Yeah, of course, made famous, even more famous by the end of, uh, that was in Breaking Bad. Cats in the Cradle, that's another one on our text line. Again, um, by Harry Chapin. Let's talk to, um, Let's see, Dave in Appleton. Dave, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. I'm uh, just a couple years older than you, but uh, American Pie, Don McLean. That was, I mean, that, that song that was, was the soundtrack of the 70s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was our anthem in high school. Yeah. So. Yeah, so whenever you hear that, it just kind of takes you back to those misbegotten days at whatever high school you were traipsing around in, huh? Takes me back to Waukesha South, senior <laughs> year. Well. There, there you go, and it, that's that's a, thanks for call. That is a good place to be, Kevin in Sheboygan. Kevin, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Don Henley's "The Boys of Summer." Yeah, yeah. released nineteen eighty four, my freshman year of high school. Um, so anytime it's on, doesn't matter even who's covering the song. Uh, it gets turned up on my radio. <laughs> that that's the one where you end up um, you end up like. Like you stop and you're kind of like singing along with it, huh? Absolutely, just yeah. hands down. As far as I'm considered, the perfect all-time rock and roll song. Uh, and Don Henley, one of the one of the great, and I would argue one of the unappreciated real. 
I mean, Don Henley, I mean, a lot of people know him through the Eagles and stuff, but Don, Don Henley, I think, was a driving force behind a lot of the great Eagles stuff over the years, too. He truly was. And, and the, the line in there about the deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. Right. He wrote the song after actually having that happen to him, some guys flying by him in a Cadillac that had a deadhead sticker on it, and that was the inspiration for part of the song. Wow. Wow, I, you know, this segment is bringing back so many memories. I'm trying to think of, okay, another one that I would lump into was the was the Jackson Brown song, um, you know, Take It Easy, which was made famous by the Eagles. But, I mean, standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, I'm such a sight, fine sight to see. Uh, there's, I'm such a sight to see. There's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed for it, slowing down to take a look at me. Oh, man, 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 man. Let's talk to Sandy in Hartford. Sandy, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Oh, the, the song that, and it isn't a song, it's, it's an instrumental. It's the theme from the movie Picnic and Moon Glow combined. I hear that, and I stop, and I can see the whole movie in my mind. <laughs> isn't that amazing? Isn't yeah. it amazing that music has that kind of effect on us? Yes. No, it's, that, that Moon Glow is tremendous. Um, on our text line again, Christina writes, Everybody's working for the weekend. Uh, Debbie says, American Pie. American Pie again. Um, that's it. Uh, let's see. We've got another one on our text line. The song that gets my attention is your bumper music that you just had, 25 or 6 to 4 by Chicago. Takes me back to my high school pep band 35 years ago. That's from Rick in Waukesha. Um, Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. That's what Ross and Madison writes. Let's talk to, um, let's see. Don in Brookfield. Don, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Uh, mine would be Elton John's Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding. It's yeah. like epic rock opera all in one. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, that whole... I, I listened to... I, I don't remember why I did this, but within the last two weeks or so, I listened to the whole Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album again, and there's a lot of really good stuff on there, including Funeral for a Friend. It might be the most underrated rock album of all time. You forget, you know, I had actually forgotten how many really good, really good songs were, were on that, that album. I, I mean, I, did, I had it on my iPod, and it just, it just kind of came up, and so I listened to the whole thing. But, yeah, um, yeah, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Thanks for calling. And, you know, that, that whole album, I mean, that was Elton John at his creative, at his creative best. Um, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to... Uh, let's see. Let's go to uh, Joan in Neosha. Joan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hello. I'm Hi. 87, and the song might be from the 40s. Alice Faye singing, You'll Never Know Just How Much I Love You. Oh, okay. That's right. a gorgeous song. It's it, it beautifully. It, it is. All right. See, and it, that you kind of remember that. Um, Let's see. John, let's see. Greg from Fond du Lac on our text line says, Jim Croce's Time in a Bottle. And anything from John Denver. Well, I wouldn't go quite as far as say anything from John Denver, but, you know, I'd say Rocky Mountain High, that's for sure. Uh, Jason writes Cats in the Cradle. Yeah, that was another Harry Chapin song. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got uh, Ron in Clintonsville. Ron, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Okay, that song that takes you back, the song of your lifetime. Well, it's a meatloaf song, <laughs> Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. I love I love Meatloaf. I love that whole the, the whole Bad Out of Hell album. I just that was one of my that was one that's always been one of my favorite albums. Yeah, mine too. It takes me back to my misbegotten youth, <laughs> which is which is a time that we all need to go to, to the to the, the the green grass of of our of our long ago youth. Thanks for calling. Now, Meatloaf. I was actually watching this. This is. 
This is why I don't get more work done. There was a, a meatloaf documentary on, on Showtime. It was just kind of showing his life history and you know where he is now and you know all the trouble they had trying to get that Bad Out of Hell album made. Um, but but it was um, it was good. Oh, um, all summer long, Fred Milwaukee writes. It used to be American Pie, but now I think All Summer Long by Kid Rock. Yeah, that was good. I, I will tell you another one that I would put in my category um, is is Night Moves. Um, by by Bob Seeker. That's I like a lot of Bob Seeker stuff. Um, you know, old time rock and roll. But but Night Moves. There's I remember when that song came out, and Night Moves is one of those songs that just brings back a particular time. And I vividly remember people who were in my life at the time who you know aren't aren't anymore and haven't been for a long time. But it takes you back, no question about it. All right, got to take a quick break. Um, lot. Our text line has just absolutely exploded. Uh, let's see, a lot of uh, small town by uh, John Mellencamp. Uh, another for um, the all summer long, a long, long time. Glad all over. Yeah, boys of summer photograph stairway to heaven. That was the theme of my prom at Nicolay High School back in the day. It's eleven fifty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And lest you think I'm kidding about the effect that music has and some of the ways songs touch you, if, if you happen to be out in public and you hear somebody's cell phone go off and it plays Maggie Mae, chances are that's me because that's the ringtone on my phone. You know, wake up, Maggie. I think I got something to say to you. Oh, so many just great songs that are out there that just kind of take you back. Um, I always love pop culture corners like this. All right, I am out of time. No Scafidi and Billstat today. They're back at 12 noon tomorrow because we've got early Brewers baseball. They played a great game yesterday. Hopefully they will continue. I am back 8.30 tomorrow when we do this all again. Get your tickets to Insight 2017. It's at WTMJ.com. Have a great Thursday. Talk to you tomorrow at 8.30. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.